All right. Well, welcome, guys, to part four of our series here at The Eight, titled, Just Pray About It. Just Pray About It. We had a great conversation in our Wednesday life group and in our Saturday life group, and a central question came up that parents could not answer for me. Parents would have more than one kid. This question came up on Wednesday, and it came up on Saturday. And parents couldn't really put their finger on it, on why. Why, when we have, when you guys, the one that have more than one kid, when one kid does something bad, you punish all of them. One kid does something bad, and you punish both of them, or you punish all the kids. And when I asked, when I asked in Life Group on Wednesday, when I asked last night, no one could give me an answer. And I used to hate that as a kid. Like, why? Like, my sister did something wrong. Why do I have to be punished for it? I don't understand. She did something wrong. But as I was prepping for, t- for the talk for today, I started to get an understanding of why you parents do that, of why one kid does something wrong and you decide to punish both of them, or you decide to punish all the kids, even though one person did something wrong. Last week, we looked at a story from the 13th century BC, where there was a group of about two and a half to three million people of God's chosen people, the Israelites, who have been freed from slavery, and they're being on a journey, they're going on a multi-year journey to the promised land that God has promised to them. And the leader of that group, of the three million uh, Israelites at that time, was Joshua. And God was directing Joshua on the path that he needs to take in order for them to get to their promised land. And they get to the city of Jericho, when they're about to take over the, the, take over the city in order for them to eventually get to their place. And God tells them, okay, I'm going to let you win the, the, the battle of Jericho. All you got to do is walk around the, the battle, uh, walk around the city. And once you do that, you're going to win. But you cannot touch anything from that city. Because I want to show you that you're not the one doing anything. You're not the one doing anything. I'm the one working through you and in you. So it's not you winning the battle. I'm working in you. So they said, okay, God, deal, fine. You'll let us win the battle of Jericho. And the walls came tumbling down, blah, blah, blah. But then there was one guy, one guy, who said, yes, God, you know, we won't take anything. And then he went and put stuff in his pocket. And he stole stuff from the city of Jericho. They move on. They move on to the next city, and they're about to be a battle there, and the city is called AI, two letters, AI. And they get, to the, they get to the city for the battle. And they say, oh, this is super easy, no problem, we'll be able to win this battle, it's very easy. This is like half the size of the city of Jericho, we're good. They ended up losing, they ended up losing. And Joshua, the leader, is saying, God, why did you allow this to happen to us? You have brought us to this direction, you have brought us to this battle, You have told us that we're going to win. You told us you were going to lead us. Why did you make us get this far and make us lose? Why have you done this to us? And God responds to Joshua. He says, get up. Stop whining. This is not the time to pray. This is not the time to pray. I want you to get up, and I want you to fix the mistake that you guys did. And God said this. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant. This is God speaking, which I commanded them to keep. And I'm sure at this point, Joshua's saying, whoa, whoa, God, time out. Israel has sinned. It was just one guy. Achan is the one. He's the guy that stole the stuff from Jericho. What do you mean all have sinned? Man, we've been keeping your commandments, God. All three million of us. One guy decided to, 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 to not listen to your commandment. Why are you saying Israel has sinned and them? We, 
which, why are you speaking olives? God continues. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. This, that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. God continues, go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you fix the mistake that you made. Like, I cannot be with you if you're going to say, yeah, 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 we're not going to do it, and you're, and you're still doing it. And, Josh, and Joshua, I'm sure, is super confused at this point because he's saying, really, God? Like, you're talking about three million of us kept your covenant, have kept your command that you made super clear to us, and one person, one person decides to disobey and decides to steal stuff from, from, the battle, from, from Jericho. And you're giving us this entire thing, this entire rant that Israel, like all of us have sinned, we all need to consecrate ourselves. To understand, to understand why God gave it to Joshua, to understand why God didn't just say, okay, you know what, pull up Achan, you know, bring him to the front here, you know, he needs to go time out. God could have, that, that would have made more sense. As a loving father, okay, like point out the guy that made the mistake. But for us to understand why God said Israel has sinned, for us to understand why God went on this entire rant of telling, talking plural that all of Israel needs to get their act together, and he's giving it to the leader, to Joshua. For us to understand where God is coming from, we have to go back to the dawn of creation. For us to understand where God is coming from. One of my favorite icons, from an iconographer from England, Creation, the very first thing when God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, decided to create galaxies upon galaxies, and when he wanted to create life as we know it, the very first thing he said is, let us make man. Let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make the crown of creation. Like, I love the flowers that I created. I love the, 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 the mountains, the trees, the rivers. I love all and all the animals that I've created. But there's something missing. I want to create a reflection of who I am in man. My desire is to create my image and, and have this person be the peak of all of creation. So let us, the triune God, make man. And from that time, God's desire, God's desire was there to be an intimate, beautiful relationship between God, the triune God, who is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and Adam and Eve. Like, God's desire is for there to be open transparency, vulnerability, intimacy between God, man, and woman. But out of his love, he said, I'm not going to like force you to do anything. I'm forcing you need to go to church. You need to, I'm not doing any of that. Like if I force you to do that, Adam and Eve, I, like I'm, that's not really love. Like then, then you're just a slave. But out of my free will, I'm giving you the choice to do as you wish. Through our selfishness, which we can all relate to, and through the selfishness of Adam and Eve, he said, I got this. I know what I'm doing. Let me take advantage of my freedom. 
I don't need to follow God 100%. Like, I can go for that tree. Like, they all look the same. I don't need to listen to everything he has to say. And through our brokenness, and through the fall of Adam and Eve, that intimacy, that union, that transparency that existed between God, Adam, and Eve, that intimate triune bond that existed, what occurred from that point? From the fall, all the drama took place. God, that woman, you sent me. She's the one that, ha- that did all this. It ain't me. Don't, don't look at me. That, that she, you, you're the one that you took her out of my room. You're the one who did this. Don't, don't give me a hard time, God. God has sent me. What? All of a sudden, you're, you're talking about she did this. And it's all of us together. I am in a relationship with myself as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we're in, in, designed to be in this intimate bond with a triune God with humanity. And all of a sudden, you're wanting to distance yourself from the, from the fault of someone else? Going back to the story of Joshua. Through the, the selfishness of Achan, through the selfishness of this guy that wanted to steal jewelry himself and not listen to what God was saying. We get a glimpse of what occurs when one person's irresponsibility becomes everyone's responsibility. One person's irresponsibility and selfishness and disobedience affects everybody. Someone's irresponsibility becomes everyone's responsibility. Someone's irresponsibility becomes everyone's responsibility. And on a side note, Someone's struggle becomes everyone's struggle. Someone's issue becomes everyone's issue. And someone's joy becomes everyone's joy. Because we are designed to be in relationships. We are designed to be in a community. God within himself, the divine designer, is in a community within himself. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If the divine designer is in a relationship with himself, then his creation is designed to be in relationships as well. What you sow, eventually I will have to reap. And vice versa, because we are all connected. And marriage, if someone's struggling with something, it becomes both. The husband and wife is is issue. It's not an isolate, well, you know, he needs to get his act together. He needs to. We're going back to page one of the dawn of creation. The second, well, you, you need to, yes, of course we need to work on ourselves, but at the same time, We need to go look back at the divine design of marriage, of this intimate bond. Tension, friction begins to occur when we say, well, you need to start doing They say, like in marital counseling, thinking of the pronouns that we use, is it you need to do this or is it we? This is just from a psychological perspective. Forget it from a divine perspective. But we know that being true, saying we need to fix this out, we need to work on this. Psychologically, that works. Because by divine design, we understand that we are all connected. We understand that we are designed to be relate, re- relational beings. This is why. This is why. God didn't just create Adam by himself. He didn't create an individual. He created a person who is designed to live in life with another person. This is why God didn't just create a, a, one elephant by himself. Everything was in pairs because God designed it for everything to be in community, to be in communal together. This is by divine design. This is why we have cities. This is why we have churches. 
instead of just, yeah, you know, you do your own thing. You know, you pray to God whenever you can at home. This is why we come together as broken people. Because we need to lean on each other because we understand that I am not an individual. I am a person designed to, to need other persons. There's always a voice inside of us that says, ah, don't, you don't need to go to church. There's always uh, judgmental and dumb people at church. You don't need to go. This is what it's for, for us to lean on each other. We're designed to be in relationships with each other. It's by divine design. This is why there is a family unit. This is why there's cities. This is why there's churches. It's by divine design. Three weeks ago, in part one of our series here on this series, Just Pray About It, we looked at a quote from a third century philosopher. His name is St. Gregory the Theologian. And he says that the purpose of prayer, the purpose of prayer is to regain clarity and conscious awareness. Prayer regains clarity and regains my conscious awareness of knowing who my heavenly father is. Because through our selfishness, we, oh, that's your fault, and we'd like to blame other people, and we begin to begin to have like a foggy image of who God is to us. But this third century theologian, St. Gregory, makes it clear that prayer is not just like something you do you know, to, you know, to get a raise or to help problems at home. But prayer allows me to regain clarity of knowing who my divine designer is. To restore the divine design of communal living, there has to be divinal communal prayer. So prayer, in essence, is for me to regain clarity, regain conscious awareness. To restore the divine design of communal living, there has to be divine communal prayer. Today we're talking about the importance of communal prayer. And then next week, His Grace Bishop Yusuf will talk to us about the, the importance or the power of personal prayer. But we cannot forget how we need communal prayer. We need transparency. This is why, my friends, we have life groups. You could have easily have that discussion with yourself or just read something at home, but we're designed to be in relationships because our Heavenly Father is relational himself. There's a fabulous quote that I have there at the bottom of the screen by a third-century theologian. His name is Tertullian, which is a great name. And Tertullian was from Tunisia, and he had this great one-liner. One Christian is no Christian. One Christian is no Christian. And a lot of this, a lot of writings of, of this theologian from the third century, like a lot of his writings was about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And actually, it set the framework for the early Christians to write down the creed. Like a lot of his writings and manuscripts kind of set the platform for discussions on the creed. And his famous quote was, one Christian is no Christian. The very fabric of our faith is experienced in community. The very fabric of our faith is experienced in community. This is why in, in our ancient prayers, we don't say, my Father who is in heaven, it's our Father. The very first words of any service in our pre-denominational faith is have mercy on us. Not me, not me. Have mercy on us. When we declare our mission statement as, as, as early Christians, we say we believe in one God. Everything is plural. It's broken people coming together to lean on each other and to understand that we need each other. There's power in community. I promise you, I feel a difference when, when, when hundreds of us are, are, are chanting the hymns and singing the hymns and belting it out. Man, it's something that hits deep. It makes a big difference. It makes a big difference.
This is the fabric of our ancient faith. Is understanding we are in community. One Christian is no Christian. <laughs> Even if I look at all the all all the all the, 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 the early Christian manuscripts that are in the Bible, that I need to encourage one another, I need to love one another, I need to inspire one another, I need to to lift one another, I need to cheer one another. How do I do any of these one another's? If I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I, how can I uh, practice that if I'm only seeing myself as one Christian? If I say ah, I don't want to go to church, you know, there's just Judgmental people, I'm just going to pray by myself. I don't need to go to church because every time I go, this happens or that happens. We're going against the divine design of who we are, and we're going against the divine design of our Heavenly Father. I want to show two ancient verses. One was from St. Paul writing to Timothy. St. Paul writing to Timothy. First of all, this is St. Paul now talking to his friend Timothy. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all men. Like St. Paul is telling Timothy, I want you to pray for one another. I want you to make supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. He's like trying to make it, he's really drilling it and using every terminology that he can to make it clear to Timothy. Be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in high positions. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. St. Paul is encouraging his friend Timothy and says, I, I, I want you to pray for all men. I don't care what you feel about the president. I don't care what you think about the, the, the king of your land. I don't, that, that, that's not the point. But you, as a follower of Jesus, you as a child of God, you have a divine responsibility to pray for them because you are in a community, Timothy, that you are designed to pray for one another. Another verse from another early Christian, St. James. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why should I, why should I do that? Why should, this per, this per, I'm done with that person. He's a jerk. I'm done. Why do I need to pray for that person? Why do I need to talk about like, this issue that I had with this person? That you may be healed. For your edification, for your healing, you need to do the one another's. For your healing, you need to do the one another's. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another in order for you to be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This is why, my friends, throughout the centuries, when we get together as, ancient, as, 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 as Orthodox Christians, we're praying for things maybe we really don't think about. We pray for, for, for monks, for, 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 for church leaders, for the vegetation, for, for, for church leaders, and for our, our country's leaders. Like maybe things that we don't, because usually when we pray by ourselves, our natural focus is on my issues, my problem, my family. But the church is saying, actually, when you come together as broken people to become one with God here and celebrating the liturgy, think beyond yourself. Think beyond yourself. Our natural reflex is to think of ourselves. But through communal prayer, through the power of communal prayer, we're able to think and pray for things maybe we naturally don't pray about because there is power in numbers. And that's by divine design. We're in community with one another and there's power in communal prayer. But our community is not based on these walls. Our communal prayer is, is beyond this. This is why the church the ancient church 
is called the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church that's outside of any boundaries. And who else is praying with us in communal prayer are those who have lived before us, for those who have already passed away. That we are in community with them. We are praying for them, and they are praying for us. And you see this in our ancient prayers, that we are in community with them. We say that there is no, like we don't, as, 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 as Christians, we don't say that death is the end. Actually, the better word we use is departure. Just like if I get on a plane, I'm departing from one city to the next. I'm departing, going from one place to the next. So we, death is not the best word to use, but departure. And as they're in a different place, they are praying for us and we are praying for them. There is no limit. If prayer itself is outside of time, is outside of dimensions that we know of, then of course the people that have lived before us are 100% praying and we are praying with them. This is why every time we say the template prayer that Jesus gave us, the Lord's Prayer, like you'll notice a lot of people might say, through the prayers of the saints, here's as we pray together saying, our Father. Through the ones that have come before us, through the ones that are praying with us and that are in community with us, we are praying with them as we say the Lord's Prayer. I'll give you another example of an ancient prayer that has existed for 2,000 years in our church that has records from the very first century of Christianity. And you hear it, and you heard it this morning when we prayed it. We say, this is the command. This is the command that Jesus, of Jesus, that we share in the commemoration of your sins. This is the command of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, that we share in the commemoration of your sins. And the sins that have lived before us, the righteous people that lived before us, all who, and we say in the end of that prayer, all who have been perfected in the faith. Sometimes we think of the ones that have come before us, either loved ones or family ones or, 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 or the saints of the church. We think that like, they just came out of the womb with like a halo on their head and are just like levitating over the ground and they just like lived a perfect life. They say they were perfected in the faith because they understood their struggles, they understood their weakness, and they came to the fullness of life to find healing, to find restoration, to find edification. And this is why we admire them. This is why we look at their lives. And this is why we want to imitate what they did. Just as they found healing through Jesus, I want to follow the same. I was a dentist. I hated dental school. And one thing I hated about dental, like one thing that helped me get through the pain of dental school was in the hallways of dental school were just these huge pictures of like previous classes of like, you know, whatever, from like the 70s and you kind of see like the graduating class of every, every year. What inspired me so much, especially during finals week, is I would look at their pictures and I would say, if they can do it, I can do it. If they can do it, I can do it. They look just like me. There's nothing different. Like, they have the same brain as I do. And they struggle the same way I, do, I am right now. If they can become a dentist, I can become a dentist. This is our view of the saints. Did they have hard days? Yeah. Did they have tough marriages? Yeah. Did they have days of, of doubt and questioning life? Yeah. But through their struggle, they continue to walk toward the love of their heavenly Father. And this is why we admire them. This is why we ask for their prayers, because they are still in community with us. The second we start thinking death is the end, then all of a sudden we're in control. Oh, that's it. No, we know that death is not the end. It's a tra transfer 
It's a departure from one place to the next. And we know we're on the same path as well. So we are in the same community with them. We don't pray to the saints. We pray through the saints. We pray through and with them. Prayer restores my conscious awareness to the whole, to the Trinity. These are the words of St. Gregory from the 3rd century. Prayer restores my conscious awareness of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and clarity of knowing who he is to me. Communal prayer restores our community. Nothing, nothing empowers me more as a priest when the church is rocking during liturgy and everyone's singing. There's nothing more powerful. There's power in numbers. There's power in community praying together. And I want this to be our focus now as we, as we go through life group. Take time to pray together. There's power in, 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 in communal prayer for our life, for those around us, and maybe the things we don't usually tend to pray for. And this is the beauty. Our ancient faith pushes us to pray for our community beyond what we would define as our community. Why? Because we are relational beings. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, our, our natural like reflex is for us to think about us, what's best for us. For us to say, I don't need to talk to this person, I don't need to lean on this person, I don't need to open up to that person. And we figure, you know, we can just run away from the problem. Or in Joshua's case, just hide behind prayer. But Lord, you have asked us to, to take a leap of faith, to have the boldness, to step forward. For us to understand that we are not just an individual, but you created us to be in relationships. And this is by divine design. Help us to have clarity on that. Help us to, to, to utilize the gift of prayer that you have given us, which is a channel for us to, to, to have clarity, to regain clarity of how much you love us. Help us to see prayer in that context and not just a drag and not just something you just do on Sunday, but it is a way of life. It's a rhythm. It's my breath in order for me to regain conscious awareness of how much you love me and help me to, to overcome my, my, my selfish thoughts of just keeping to myself or just being my own little bubble. But by divine design, I am created and desired to be in a community. Lord, through the prayers of all the saints who have come before us, who are praying for us as we pray for them, hear us as we pray together as one community, as one body, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.